Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's October 11th, 1962. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. If you like the original Catholic Church, get ready for the sequel, Vatican II. Or to give it its proper name, the Second Vatican Council, which opened today in history in 1962. And that process of making the Catholic Church more relevant to the 20th century began with Pope John XXIII being carried across St. Peter's Square by eight bearers in a gold-gilded sedan throne. <laughs> and ended after he was dead. I mean, that's how yeah. long this went on for. If anyone knows how to do a council, it's the Catholic Church. You don't go to one of their conferences thinking, I'm going to be out of here <laughs> after a few days and a few, bit, you know, some speed networking. Yeah. <laughs> Bring snacks, you guys. <laughs> yeah. And on the day that it opened, Pope John the Twenty Third had actually given two speeches. One, his formal address in the morning, and the other, an impromptu speech that he gave from his balcony later that evening. There can't be that many impromptu papal speeches when you think about <laughs> no, it. No, that's not true. from the balcony anyway. It's yeah. not the kind of thing you freestyle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, but he did. So thousands of people, lots of them carrying torches, had made their way to St. Peter's Square to celebrate the opening of this historic uh, Second Vatican Council event. And naturally, they were hoping that the Pope would speak to them. But according to his biographers, he was absolutely exhausted after what was, after all, a pretty monumental day. And he said to his advisors, I just don't want to speak. I've said everything that I have to say already this morning. But and then he looked out the window and saw how many people were waiting. And it, it looks incredible. It's just the most beautiful scene. I've seen photos of it, all these people with burning torches. And he relented and came to the window. And what he said is called the moonlight speech, because at one point he says, here all the world is represented. One might even say that the moon rushed here this evening. Look at her high up there to behold this spectacle. And then he adds, when you go back home, you'll find your children, give them a hug and a kiss and say this hug and a kiss is from the Pope. And the entire speech had that tone of like personal intimacy that was a massive departure from the way that popes used to speak and really set the tone for what Vatican II was all about. Yeah. Here all the world is represented, he says, of a smattering of Protestants <laughs> and Jews. <laughs> I think he was a bit of a forerunner to Pope Francis. Yeah. He was well known for his humility. John XXIII was nicknamed the Good Pope. He'd been elected in 1958 and he lived his whole life being seen as a kind of affable traditionalist so nobody expected anything particularly exciting or revelatory from his papacy. So his announcement of the Second Vatican Council came as this huge shock. So the first one had been cut short in 18 because it was during the Italian reunification. The Italian army had marched into Rome and into the Vatican City. And so not many pressing issues had actually been addressed. The main thing they had settled on was papal infallibility. And so because that had it's been a settled, a lot, of, a lot of traditionalists within the Vatican didn't see the need for another council. All other speakers are redundant. <laughs> Over to well, you, Pope. Yeah, but they, exactly. But they were kind of right in the sense that if you have papal infallibility, which is what underlines some of the things we talked about in this show before, like the dogma of Mary the Immaculate Conception, right? Once the Pope says that's a fact, that's settled, then forever you can't debate it anymore. 
which would mean you wouldn't then have a big debate like this. And it shows how uh, his inclinations were relatively for a pope, modern and progressive, because not only was it that no one was really expecting him to do very much when he was elected, but I think part of the reason, frankly, he was elected at 77 years old was like, well, here's a safe pair of hands that definitely won't do something like this. All the traditionalists didn't want him to do something like this. They were not expecting him to say, right, let's look at some of the big problems that we have in the church, most especially because this was still pretty soon after the Second World War. And it was obvious that the church had some public reparations to do with Jews. Also, it came at a time where, for many people, the idea of doing another council meeting like this just wasn't terribly necessary. There was no crisis in the church. And at the time, the church ran this really impressive global network of schools and hospitals and universities and relief agencies and so on. There seemed no reason, for many people at least, to tamper with what most people thought was a pretty winning formula. But John clearly wanted to change some things and to clarify some other things that had been left hanging by that first Vatican Council. One was the nature of the church, which was never really as happy about being the so-called quote throne and altar as some critics suggest that idea that it's both a state but also a religious organization plus the arrival of secular democratic states in europe raised questions about how the church should relate to them yeah as early as 1907 pope pius x condemned a new heresy which he called modernism which was an attempt to basically cram everything that happened since the age of enlightenment into a box and tell catholics don't look in the box Mm. where you know free thinking and rationality live just keep obeying it was just on the 23rd who understood that this attempt to block out the modern world just couldn't last especially going into the second half of the 20th century and the rise of secular entertainment for one thing yeah. and mass communication but also religious alternatives to Catholicism not just atheism obviously becoming more acceptable certainly in Western society but also charismatic Protestant movements mm. and seeing the appeal that they had especially in the developing world which was where Catholicism had been drawing a lot of its base and he as a Pope was someone who travelled freely around he would have seen the shift that was going on that you're describing. I mean, here is a stark statistic about the 20th century. At its outset, two-thirds of the world's Catholics lived in Europe. By the end, the same proportion, two-thirds of the world's Catholics, lived in the global south. It's notable as well that even the way the council unfolded had vestiges of its old self. You know, speeches which were admittedly limited to 10 minutes had to be in Latin and consequently... Nothing wrong with a 10-minute episode, Arian. No, well, that's true. <laughs> it's, it's punchy, <laughs> keeps things moving. Um, but consequently, it just didn't allow for very much spontaneous debate because, you know, people could prepare their beautiful Latin speeches. But Latin is and has long been a dead language. It wasn't so good for colloquial chit-chat. But even in those early days, you could see two broad groups emerging. There were participants there who were supporters of the aggiornamento or renewal and those who very much weren't, the more conservative side. And really, uh, before too long, you have these two sides set up against one another. And in fact, that tension has remained even until this day in the assessment of what Vatican II was all about. But there were two big decisions basically like once you distill it down right the first was from this point of vatican II, the mass could be said in the vernacular the local language of the country or place where mass is being celebrated that meant that the congregation the laity could fully participate because they'd actually understand what was happening because it's in their language and a change was made so that the priest giving the mass would face the congregation during mass rather than have his back to them 
And the second one was that everyone, from this point onwards, the Vatican says, can achieve salvation even if they're not a Catholic. And I think that comes back to what I was saying about, uh, you know, the awkwardness that they were feeling after the Holocaust <laughs> about some of their views, which they're basically now modifying to saying it's not a case of only Catholics can achieve salvation. It's that we would recommend Catholicism as the best way to achieve <laughs> salvation, which is a subtle distinction. But, you know, that was a big one because it goes all the way back to 1441. And that speaks to the intention of Pope John XXIII, who died uh, of stomach cancer in 1963 before the, uh, the council had really got going. And he was then replaced by Paul VI, who pretty much everyone in the in the church was waiting to see whether he was going to continue Vatican II. And he, uh, not only did he say, yes, it was going to continue, but he said it would be his chief work. And very early on in his reign, he then takes a trip to the Holy Land, where he met Athenagoras, who was the spiritual head of the Eastern Orthodox churches. And this was this moment of just incredible reconciliation between the two of them, bearing in mind that a pope and a patriarch of Constantinople hadn't met in six hundred years. And Vatican II went some way to continuing to repair the relationship between the Catholic Church and Judaism, mostly because there was this traditional prayer that was said on Good Friday, which was to pray for the conversion of the faithless Jews. And that had been the standard wording until 1959, when they had changed it. They'd remove faithless. And then Vatican II softened the language even <laughs> further by removing the explicit call for conversion. So they were just saying, Let's just pray for the Jews, generally. Yeah. <laughs> the reverse ferret on the mass, though, um, is something that caused a controversy in some surprising quarters. Um, in 1971, some British literary figures, including Agatha Christie, Nancy Mitford, F.R. Leavis, Iris Murdoch, Graham Greene, Barbara Hepworth, so not all of them by any means religious Catholics, all signed an open letter asking that the original Mass be allowed to continue. Mm. Uh, quote, The rite in question in its magnificent Latin text has inspired a host of priceless achievements in the arts, not only mystical works, but works by poets, philosophers, musicians, architects, painters and sculptors. Thus it belongs to universal culture. But it's easy for people who are steeped in Latin to say that, and people whose work and obsession is about self-expression. But actually, if you're trying to communicate to people, and I think that is a big job of what Mass is meant to be about, then... It does seem like a good idea. Look, you know, we don't need to relitigate this. We are, you know, that's a good three. Tomorrow, it is effectively a rock radio play rather than a stage musical. The lyrics describe what's happening literally. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the Acast Creator Network. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.